Hello and welcome to People Places Power with me, Nick Cull. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we talk about issues of international reputation, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today we're talking about one of those phenomena that comes round in uh, place and uh, reputation from time to time, and that is renaming. Uh, Simon, right now there's been a lot of reporting about the decision of Turkey to adjust the use of its name or the spelling of its name in international media. Uh, what do you think's going on there? What's well? What's happening with this this story? I think that the uh, the story has been told uh, carelessly, as is is often the case, and it's being referred to in the international media as an attempt by the Turkish government to rename their country. I don't think the country is being renamed. I suspect that two things are happening. On the one hand, the tourist board and possibly some other state agencies have basically designed themselves a new logo and probably on instruction from the president, in that logo, or that logo features the name of the country spelt in Turkish, which is Turkiye. So T-U with two dots on it. We don't call it an umlaut because the umlaut is, is German. It's a, it's a separate letter in Turkish, uh, pronounced U, um, Turkiye, um, I-Y-E. And the international media is saying, oh, Erdogan is trying to, uh, is trying to change the name the, of, of the country from Turkey to Turkey. Now, that's not really what's happening at all. What's really happening is that the Turks themselves in their promotional activities are choosing to use their own spelling of their own country's name rather than, presumably in the English-speaking world, continue to use the English name of Turkey, which is Turkey. Um, that's one of the things that's happening. I think at the same time, there's a bit of a domestic political agenda going on here, which is President Erdogan basically saying, uh, as nationalist leaders often will to his population, look, the rest of the world doesn't take us seriously. They don't treat us, our culture, our history with sufficient respect. Possibly he even says to them, I don't know, I haven't been looking at his speeches recently, um, the, the Americans... Uh, name us after an ugly bald bird that they eat at Christmas time. That's how little respect we're shown. Of course, it's the other way around. The bird is called a turkey because it's a fowl that was presumed to come from Turkey. In fact, it came from North America. Uh, but anyway, um, that's the classic um, uh, nationalist stance, isn't it? Look, they don't take us seriously. Only I can protect our precious culture and our history against this lack of respect. Therefore, I'm going to command the world to learn what to call us. Now, that, of course, is doomed to failure, because the one thing that no leader can do, no matter how powerful, is to force the world to start calling a country by a new name. Um, but it's also a very unfriendly thing to do, because uh, in this age of global trade and global connections and global challenges, countries surely ought to be making it easier for people around the world to do business with them, not making it harder. I mean, only about 4% of the world's population actually has anything like that letter U with the two dots on it on their keyboard, wouldn't know where to find it. Um, and the 95 or so more percent wouldn't know where to find it. So this is exactly the opposite of what countries ought to be doing in our modern globalized age. Um, it's basically um, a, great, a great big get lost everybody else. Um, we're going to spell it our way. And if you don't like it, you can stuff it. 
which is uh, which is not very friendly behavior. And if it's imposed on the tourist board, it's particularly ironic because the whole point about the tourist board is that they're trying to be welcoming and they're trying to make it right. to the rest of the world as if this is a country that um, uh, that gives you what you want, not this is a country that forces you to do what it wants. There, well, there are, I think there are a couple of things going on here uh, historically. It's very interesting that it's Turkey that's um, making this 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 move. As um, there's a long history of Turkey being concerned about what foreigners think about it, mm-hmm. even back to the Ottoman Empire uh, in the 1870s. The Sultan Abdulhamid II would write these letters to foreign capitals where he felt. The image of his country was disrespected. He got very steamed up with the Dutch for allowing a nightclub to have a, a comedy sketch set in a harem. And he mm. felt that was denigrating Turkish culture. He also didn't like whirling dervishes performing in New York City and, and wrote to uh, the president at the time to complain and said, how would you like it if there were shakers uh, mm. doing their religious dances up and down the streets in uh, in uh, Istanbul, giving a bad uh, reputation to the United States. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I find that fascinating that it's another uh, page in in the uh, attempt of Turkey to um, get a certain kind of international respect. But I, 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 sus- I agree with you that I suspect it's, um, it's uh, um, mis- misplaced and uh, part of a, an image of, of the government uh, taking care of the international reputation. I think more recently Turkey tried this. I seem to remember um, Turkish uh, ads uh, like 30 years ago on TV using um, the uh, national spelling as a way of sort of be- yeah. being themselves or exoticizing or uh, something that... Yes. Uh, something like that. What what other examples have we got of this in in recent years of of name changes? Oh, oh there 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 are plenty. They they pop up all the time, and they always make the media because uh, people are fascinated by this this idea. Um, just before we we leave Turkey, it is very interesting, isn't it? Because the the description that you gave of um, this um, this protection of Turkey's original identity against the onslaught of Western culture is, of course, Mm -hmm. the diametric opposite of what Atatürk tried to do. And it's very interesting how from almost from half century to half century, Turkey tends to swing backwards and forwards from Westernization, deliberate, wanting to look like the West and be part of the West and perform Mm -hmm. like the West, and then swinging back again. So, you know, it's, it's, it's um, it's a remark that's often made uh, somewhat lightly of Erdogan, but it does sometimes look as if we're now back in the Ottoman days, um, yes. and the pendulum has swung back again the, from the, the the other side of where um, Atatürk. Yeah, and he certainly references the the Ottoman history and uh, is looking in other ways to um, uh, restore uh, respect, uh, paying to restore buildings. Um, uh, from from the Ottoman Empire around the Western Balkans and you know and other places in the in the region, which, uh, which so it's obviously an important history to him. Yeah, which I think is great, by the way. Um, I, I I think it's a, I think it's a fine thing um, when countries realize and acknowledge uh, the value of their cultural distinct distinctiveness and try to try to maintain it. Um, but what matters a lot is the tone in which that's done. 
And when it's done, when it's done angrily rather than in a welcoming way, um, then it begins to cause all kinds of problems and takes you down quite a dark sort of route. Um, but in principle, give you know, give give me the choice for what I, as a foreigner, would rather would rather see in Turkey. I think I'd probably be more interested in um, uh, less interested in the Ataturk approach of extreme Westernization. But then again, in the end, uh, it's a question of what uh, of what the country wants. So you you ask you ask about others. Well. There yeah, are so, many, so so many examples. Well, recently, we had um, I think it was 2018. Swaziland uh, mm. changed Eswatini, its name. Yeah. It said it was going to be um, yeah uh, Eswatini, which is closer to uh, the, which is their own name for themselves. Yes, um, and, and mean and means more or less exactly the same thing as Swaziland. And and I think instinctively one one has uh, it's it, it's the the land of the of of the people. Um, the, the the Swati, if I'm not mistaken, instinctively one has more sympathy for that kind of change, um, for the simple reason that what they're doing is they are um, lifting from their shoulders the burden of a name that was imposed on them by a colonial power. Um, right. And uh, so you know the same applies to, for example, uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, Ceylon was not the name of the island; that was the name uh, imposed on them uh, by by the English. Taiwan, Formosa, another one, uh, Burma, Myanmar. There, there are there are quite a lot of these. And uh, and as I say, one's instinct is to sympathise because you know why should you carry for centuries um, a, a name uh, which uh, which was which was placed on you by by a foreign power, um, especially because in, in very many cases these these foreign names are actually just misspellings or mispronunciations. Um, I mean, Bombay, for example, is a sort of Portuguese uh, mispronunciation or misspelling of something which is closer to Mumbai. And of course, India has gone through um, quite a long process of renaming uh, dozens, if not scores of its cities, um, some of them quite uh, dramatically. We were talking just before we, we came on air about Chennai Madras. Um, yes. Others are just um, going a little bit closer to the to the authentic name. Um, Pondicherry, for example, is a, a typical example of an anglicized name that has been uh, re-Indianized, and 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 so it goes on. Um, but those are a, those are a, an entirely different category. I suppose there are at least two other categories that one might. Um, dream up if one was doing a matrix matrix of this behavior one is the nobody's ever heard of us and we're sick of it and it's partly because they confuse us with another country with a similar name so we're going to give ourselves right. a brand new name and start again um right and there this is not so very common but um slovenia tried to do this oh 20 years ago or so because they were fed up with being constantly confused with slovakia um, right, and particularly because um, Slovenska is the Slovakian name for Slovakia, um, and it sounds an awful <laughs> lot like Slovenia. Yes, uh, um, so uh, one has some sympathy with that. They wanted there was one uh, faction who were campaigning to have Slovenia renamed as Alp Adria, the uh, the, Adri the Adriatic and the Alps, the, the, with the suggestion yeah. of Padria, the fatherland in the middle of it, Alp Adria. Um, 
they asked me about this at the time they were doing it. And I said to them rather rudely, I said, look, the reason why people confuse Slovenia and Slovakia is not mainly because they sound the same. It's because nobody knows anything about either of them. Um, and, you know, Bhutan and Britain sound quite similar, but nobody goes muddling them up um, because they're both mm-hmm. famous for different reasons. So um, don't worry about the tag, worry about the about the content and about how little or how much you give people to know about yourselves. What are you teaching people? Um, what, why, well, what, what why worries would... me, when, I, when I look at this, I think a lot, maybe it makes sense politically to create a name, to remake your name, to, 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 to indicate a clear break with a, yes. a, a, a past. But um, countries and places that choose to do this are sacrificing an immense amount of um, an immense resource. You know, people talk about it in terms of the equity uh, in, a, in a, a, a name. And I think it can even make a difference. It can make a tremendous difference. I, I, I thinking the other day about um, what went wrong for Czechoslovakia, mm. why nobody or, uh, in the West was really prepared to get behind uh, the borders of uh, defending the borders of Czechoslovakia mm. in uh, 1938. And it wasn't really on, on people's radar as an important uh, place. Mm. If they'd have called themselves by the name people knew from their dominant province, Bohemia, if they'd yeah. have been able to do that at yes. the end of the First World War, I think they would have had better name recognition and it could have led to different political yes. uh, consequences. Because, you know, <laughs> Bohemia is part of everybody's, part of the language, part of the the uh, sense of Europe. And you talk about Hitler threatening Bohemia yes. and people have an idea of this beautiful place that's being, um, uh, that's relevant artistically relevant that's about to get stamped on whereas Czechoslovakia didn't push any buttons at all and we even have that that radio broadcast where uh, Neville Chamberlain saying that how terrible it is to think of war over a far country of whose people we know nothing yes I think if they'd have been called bohemians it would have been much harder to say they're people of whom we know nothing yes because you know something about them yes um but uh, where else do you see equity lost in in this um, renaming? Well, Madras, which we mentioned a moment ago, um, a, a great number of associations bound up with that name, perhaps principally or entirely for British curry lovers. Nonetheless, food. Yes, ch- um, yes. There's a chicken Madras, isn't there? Yes. I don't suppose and, that's and really. I, I think it'd be really weird to call it chicken Chennai. I I, I don't think I. And I don't think it is. I think that the the dish is named for is named for uh, yeah. The dish is a thing in its own right. Yes, absolutely. Well, no, it's possible to preserve these things as a sort of dual track. I mean, Ceylon tea is still called Ceylon tea, even though the country is called mm-hmm. Sri Lanka. Um, and the dog breed is still a Pekingese, not a, a Beijinger. Well. Yes. Again, we're talking about the English language here, and of course, one one can only get a proper sense of what's going on here if you if if you look beyond the English language. What's equally interesting, we could spend an hour on that, is uh, how in some languages names get regularly updated, but in others they don't. So, for example, in Italian, uh, Beijing is still called Pechino, Peking. Um, so that particular yeah, up, that that particular upgrade wasn't considered necessary by Italians but is by uh, by the Brits. Um, and we find these differences all over the world. 
everywhere we go, uh, we, f we find that um, up updates and respellings and changes take place at different points in time. And, and this partly underlines the absurdity of a government thinking that it can impose something on the entire world. And, and I suppose that's my, that's my next category, which is the, um, uh, which is the, power, uh, the, the power freak leader um, who uh, simply insists on having his, because it's always a he, uh, name enshrined in the name of the country or at least the city. And, and of course, the most prominent and recent example of that is Nur Sultan, um, the renamed Astana, um, capital of uh, Kazakhstan. Of Kazakhstan, yeah. Um, the uh, Economist was wondering the, the last week uh, how soon it would be before uh, it's renamed Astana again, which is an interesting thought. It, it may indeed go go backwards, um, but that's that's nothing but a cult of the self. Um, and uh, one 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 does see these from 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 time to time, but. They're relatively unusual. Every time they do happen, um, the thing that I always feel like reminding these, these leaders is, do you realize what a gigantic burden you are putting on the international system by changing the name of your country? The billions and billions of dollars that it's going to cost for the entire international system to revise and update your country name just because you've decided that that's what they've got to do and you're a sovereign state and they have no choice. But the postal service, the internet addresses, the telephone dialing codes, absolutely everything. It takes decades and it costs billions. And as I said before, in the case of Turkey, we're living in an age where countries ought to be doing their best to try and make life easier for each other and to, to live together harmoniously in the international community. And yet periodically you get somebody who comes along and says, I don't care how long it takes or how much it costs. You're all going to call me something different because our pride is damaged. Um, oh, by the way, there's another category, which is which is brand new countries. Um, and right. in some cases, when you start a brand new country, you come up with a brand new name like Liberia, which is full of. Um, of, of, of meaning. Sometimes you adopt a foreign name like Sierra Leone, which is an Italian name. It's adopted by the Sierra Leonese because they like the sound of it, the, the, the Sierra of the lion. Um, and, um, and sometimes you deliberately take an old-fashioned name because you want people to know where you've come from, like Israel. Mm -hmm. With symbolic, with, with very, very strong symbolism and an inherent legitimization Absolutely. Uh, included in, in the Absolutely. in the in the name choice. Mm. So and, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a lot of it going on, and and I think um, you know, as I say, there are there are one or two cases there where one has some sympathy and where one senses that the international community probably ought to do what it can within reason to facilitate that. But the majority of cases, I think, are idle. And um, they are time wasters, and it suggests that the governments are not focusing on the things they really ought to be focusing on. I think we had we had a moment uh, in the in the nineteen fifties when there were many new names, uh, and um, with with the decolonization mm. happening, and yes. um, Zimbabwe. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I was thinking of of you know the creation of Pakistan uh, yes. um, uh, and um, those uh, Bangladesh and so forth mm -hmm. those, as those yeah. names uh, 
and I think well, Vietnam was was uh, new to international audiences, um, and so maybe it's a little less it, it, it it's less usual now for to have these changes yes. uh, changes to the map. Pakistan, by the way, another interesting example of the of the the made up name. I mean, you'll know this, but not all of our listeners will. Um, it, it, it's it's made up of the first letters of the uh, of the original provinces of Pakistan. Um, I doubt very much whether I can remember them all or in the right order, but it's Punjab, um, the K, the the K, the K is Kashmir, um, uh-huh. Sindh, and it ends with an N because Baluchistan. Um, so it was quite a, a clever sort of crossword puzzle name, um, and it's and it's fascinating how through through conflict uh, and much else besides and growth and struggle, it's become such a resonant and important sounding and apparently ancient name. But in fact, it was just a, a word game made up uh, almost within our within our lifetimes. By the way, another country which has been playing at this recently in a very similar manner to Turkey is the Netherlands. Um, and the Dutch government on two or three occasions in the last 10 years or so has has announced that it's not going to call itself Holland, it's going to call itself the Netherlands, or that it's not going to call itself the Netherlands, it's going to call itself Holland. And, and just as in the, the, the case we started with, with Turkey, it's never quite clear whether this is just we're going to use Holland as our logo when we're promoting tourism, or whether it's we, the Dutch government and the people, are fed up with you calling us by the name of one of our provinces, and here oh, yes, and, right. and henceforth you're going to call us the Netherlands because that's our name. Um, and that seems a little unfriendly and not very internationally minded for such an internationally minded country. But there you go. I mean, national identity, as, we, uh, as we've said over and over again in this series, is... Uh, it's a topic that touches almost everybody and touches people to the quick, doesn't it? Well, British people are irritated by being referred to, for the whole thing being referred to as England. Yes. Uh, and it's amazing how many well-informed people uh, mm. um, do, do that. Uh, yes. It was oh, a thing you know, President Carter would make that mistake all the time, call every call the whole thing England, and how would yes. his um, uh, uh, assistants would sort of yes. but despair. England is the American name for the United Kingdom. There's no question about it. Um, and the overwhelming majority of Americans do refer to it as England because that's what they call it in their language. Um, the, um, uh, the Italians call the United Kingdom London. Um, that's their whole <laughs> thing. And, uh, and I've often found myself in um, absurd situations in Italy where I'm over there. And uh, somebody says to me, when you're going back to London, and I say, I don't live in London. And they say... I thought you were English. And I say, yes, I am. And so they say, well, when are you going back to London? And I say, I'm not going back to London. We go round and round in circles. <laughs> it's a sign of admiration. I think, uh, in a sense, it's the sincerest form of flattery because the Italians are um, devoted to London. And um, at almost any given moment, you hear more Italian voices than English voices in London. Mm-hmm. Well, are there any countries that you think should change their name? Um, you know, I... hmm, interesting question. I think South Africa should change its name. I think it's a very confusing name. Um, to, to have the name of your country the same as half of the continent that you sit on is either yes. um, monstrously big-headed or else just very confusing and very wrong. I mean, they've called themselves that for long enough. 
um, that people have kind of got used to it, but it still causes confusion, especially with people who are not so familiar with the country. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think it's at the root of um, uh, you know, some American politicians co- referring to Africa as a country, the country of Africa. Yes. Um, and and they're getting very indignant when you point out Africa as a continent. But the, the United States makes this claim itself, call, you calling itself using America as a way of re- referring just to themselves. Yes. Um, uh, so you have that alternative usage uh, going on. Yes. Um, what what do you think about your, your Iran, hmm. Simon? Do you think Iran uh, uh, is is disadvantaged by being linguistically separated from its its history, the history of that part of the world, the Persian language, Persian, you know, it occurs to me that nobody ever loves their Iranian cat or enjoys their Iranian carpet. Those those wonderful things that have historically come out of uh, that part of the world are separated from the, uh, linguistically, from from the nation state that currently dominates that region. But there's always a temptation in these cases to muddle cause and effect. And uh, if the Islamic Republic of Iran had a government that cared more about its international image than than the one at the moment. You could easily imagine them making a similar argument and saying, let's rename ourselves Persia because that has good associations. Well, the reality of the matter is that the reason why Iran has negative associations in many parts of the world is because of the role that it's played uh, in the international community recently. And so even if it did change its name to Persia, unless it uh, started behaving in a very different way, it would very quickly trash that name as well. Um, right. So there's only a certain number of opportunities that you have. I think the name change doesn't change the perceptions. It perhaps opens a door for new behaviours, um, raises a flag. I don't know what quite the right metaphor right. is, but um, it's a, it signals something, something changing. But if, if it isn't then swiftly followed by dramatic, sustained, long-term different behavior, then all that's going to happen right. is that uh, the new name will end up with as negative associations as the old one. And that's exactly what's happened with Myanmar. Um, it, absolutely, it is, absolutely. Um, you know, but that, I think this is a theme that we've come back to before as well, that what's important is reality. And if yeah. you want a good image, uh, engineer a good reality. And mm-hmm. if you want your name to have positive associations, do positive do positive things and you can sully an old name as easily as sully a new name. And uh, yes. uh, where, where, where it, it seems counterproductive is where an old name had positive associations. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be uh, letting down your population to um, shut yourself off yes. from uh, positive associations that can actually uh, help in a very competitive in environment why wouldn't you want to be um known as the the successor place to yes. uh the a point of origin for successful uh and admired uh, qualities yes, yes. well as, as you say thro- throwing away an old name um again the sorts of leaders who do things like that tend to be the sorts of leaders who are are not really au fait with that kind of thinking they don't um they mm-hmm. don't particularly understand or care for those arguments um, that, you know, the old name perhaps has a resonance for the rest of the world that means something that's that's worth something to them. Um, it would be difficult to imagine a, a man like Nazarbayev in Kazakhstan, for example, um, mm-hmm. thinking in those terms. 
Um, so these are the, these are these are mindsets. And another, it's a slight side issue, but it's also quite interesting to look at the to look at the countries that have more than one name, because there are countries that are that are known um, by several different names depending on circumstances. And it's very interesting that um, there are not very many countries that can sustain that, because that's a difficult thing to a difficult act to sustain, really, to be known in several different ways. The champion probably is England, Britain, United yes. Kingdom. British Isles, yeah. um, yes. uh, which has endless names, um, and people choose from them as they see fit or as their culture or habit dictates. Um, but the UK seems to be able to sustain this. Nobody gets confused between them. Sometimes people stop and ask what they do, what they mean, and that's interesting, and that's as far as it goes. United States, the United States of America. America, as you say, although, as you also rightly say, that annoys the hell out of Latin Americans who think of America as being their continent. Um, and um, I suppose the parallel is that there are some highly successful commercial brands that are so successful they can manage with two names like Coke and Coca-Cola. It's got two brands. Um, very rare indeed in the commercial environment, somewhat rare in the international uh, in the environment. So it's even rare linguistically that there aren't so many objects that are known as as as, as two things. In like the same you can language, say there's right? a bucket and a pail, but yes. uh, even <laughs> you know, usually one will be the old name, one will be the new name. It's 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 surprisingly rare to have uh, 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 two names for for the same for exactly the same object. Well, it, dep- it, it depends on, the, on your etymology, doesn't it? I mean, in the English language, we very often have two words for every object because we have um, almost balanced uh, Germanic and, uh, and Romance roots. And so for almost every object in the English language, we have a, basically a, a Romance name. French, Latin, Italian, Spanish name, but they tend to be differentiated. So, you, with, like as with uh, beef and 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 cow, you know, where the 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 served the prepared version the has the French kill. name, and the yes. raw version is the Saxon uh, who but, has to actually look after the thing. And lamb and mutton, um, and all the rest of it. but what a wonderful so thing! So, slightly, it is it, there. There, are, there, there is a sort of a. Uh, um, there's a difference there, and I suspect that without a without a difference, um, one name would will dominate and force the uh, force the other out, and that we maybe we don't see it because we're living at a um, it takes a, a long time for these uh, these changes to uh, to to happen. And there are and there are evolutionary arguments there as to as to why certain variants succeed and certain others fail. Generally speaking, it seems that the one that causes least trouble is the one that survives, and um, and that's the reality with Netherlands, the Netherlands versus yes. Holland, um, a country name with um, with a with a uh, with a direct article in front of it is a nuisance. It's two words. It's got a space in the middle, um, and of course, again, it varies from language to language. I'm talking about English here, but um, Holland uh, is a single word, and that makes things. Um, an awful lot easier, um, but um, you know there there are a number of countries out there which, in various languages, have an article attached to them. I mean, we talk about Lebanon in English, but in French they talk about le Liban. Um, it's always the Lebanon, which we used to call it in English, but we dropped that. The Argentine we used to call it, um, but it's now Argentina. Um, so there's a tendency for place names to become simpler over time. 
Um, mm. And that's... People always uh, people spoke about the Sudan, didn't they? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just thinking about, uh, because we were mentioning uh, Czechoslovakia um, and uh, the interesting point you made about uh, Bohemia. Of course, everything everything changed again, didn't it, after the after the, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and and one half of it walked off with the front of the name, and the other half walked off with the back, like a pantomime horse, and the mm-hmm. Czechs got the better end of the deal because they got the name yeah, for sure. from the beginning of the of the of the known country. The Slovaks got the end of the name, which of course, meant very little to anybody because people are only generally aware of the first syllables of words. And so the Czechs very clearly got the better end of the deal there because um, because th- that they were the front end of a well-known, by that stage, well-known country. So the moral there is, if, you're, if your country is fissiparous and you're going to split into two, make sure you get the front end of the word and not the back end. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, there, and there are dangers. Well, you see, North, North, uh, with with, uh, with with splitting North Korea and South Korea, you could, or indeed East Germany, West Germany, you can end up sharing a name with a rogue state. Um, and what that does to your image uh, is bad news. Um, I've researched this over and over again. South Korea is uh, perpetually diminished by the fact that it has the same name as a country that everybody knows as a baddie. Um, and most people on the planet are not quite sure of their geography, their international relations, their modern history, and very often end up mistrusting both Koreas because they can't remember which one is the bad one. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, on that bombshell. Um, well, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm still Nick Cull. I'm still Simon Anhold. <laughs>